From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugas, and this is The Explainer. I think that we are beginning to see that all of the happy talk and the big lies just are not the truth and do not comport with the truth. And I still believe that if Americans are provided facts by a reliable source, they will, in fact, with maybe with great difficulty, maybe with some sadness and regret, they themselves will do the right thing and give up some of the things that they had found alluring. Welcome to season eight of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Voting rights are in the spotlight, propelled by former President Trump's big lie. Now that federal measures to overturn many Republican efforts to limit voting have failed, elections expert Francis Hill looks at what's next. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. So good morning, Francis. Nice to have you back. Good morning, Catherine. Nice to be with you. Thanks. Thanks. First off, why are voting rights such a huge issue going into the 2022 midterm elections? Well, voting rights are such a huge issue because we are in a time of polarization and just conflict about what democracy means. And there's some people who don't seem to value democracy um, and others who say there is no challenge to it. We are all over the place. Um, And we're in the middle of a pandemic and we made changes in the election for 2020, made it easier for people to vote. And not surprisingly, more people voted. We had a huge turnout in 2020 and some were unhappy with the results, particularly the former president who has been insisting that the 2022 election consider solely the issue of the 2020 election. Um, And then, of course, many people take the view that the 2020 election is over. So um, we have many issues that are not usually faced, and we have many serious issues that we have to face. And um, so the election is consequential in many ways. Some people say it's existential. It is a very important thing, and it's linked to the 2024 general election. Got it. So why are we hearing so much lately about state legislation? What are the states doing, and what are these new statutes all about? Well, anyone who could provide a crisp and fully believable and covered everything answer to that should have a Nobel Prize, maybe. But what's going on in the states? is that the states are insisting that they control elections and they can take steps to do two things. They want to um, make it harder for people to vote so that the, in the view of some, the wrong people are not voting. And we can talk about these, but that's one. Fewer people voting or fewer people of the wrong kind voting, however one looks at these statutes. And then number two, they're empowering state legislatures controlled um, by generally the Republican Party to throw out the election results and to simply declare who the winner is. Um, 
you know, the Constitution doesn't provide for that. And um, and so there is little question that if we were living in normal times, these state laws would be utterly unconstitutional, but we wouldn't have to wait for the courts. If, in fact, um, the Democratic Party actually had an operational uh, majority at, that it could operate, we would have by now passed a federal statute um, keeping each of these things from happening, protecting the right of voters to vote, and everybody should vote, should be the view of a democracy. And we certainly wouldn't delegate the counting of votes to committed partisans. We would never do that on purpose in the modern world. And so there is great concern about these um, state um, election laws and um, the idea of voter nullification that a bunch of state legislators or a subcommittee of them could just sit down and declare somebody else had won the election. And it is also an astounding idea that the states have not read Article One of the United States Constitution and read the piece about, yes, they can make rules about elections, but Congress can step in at any time and just take this whole thing over. And that, of course, brings us, however briefly, just to the filibuster. And that's what's standing between the Congress is the filibuster in the Senate that has paralyzed the entire political system now. With the aid of two Democratic senators, the reasons for their actions being known only to them. Well, if the Democrats were able to, in in the midterms, able to uh, have more a more comfortable majority, would they then be able to change the federal laws in time for the general in 2024? Well, timing is a question, of course. Cinema isn't up until 2024. Um, even though her party in Arizona has censured her already, and Democrats seem very angry um, about what she did. Manchin, um, I, I don't know whether he's up this year or not. Um, I think of him as the wealthy senator from a poor state, which um, in other circumstances, one might want to delve into a bit more, but not today. Um, and there are several, of course, legal ways to become very wealthy. And then there's several more ways um, to discuss how one might become a wealthy senator from a very poor state and raise questions about why you wouldn't. He wins by great majorities every year and why he wouldn't want all his voters to get out to the polls and vote for him. I do not know. I do not understand um, this oddness about the filibuster. And while we're enumerating things I don't understand, I do not understand why the 16 Republicans who voted for an extension of the Voting Rights Act the last time it was voted on, 2006, who are still in the Senate, voted completely against it now. And if this is simply lack of a backbone, we should perhaps managed to find ourselves 16 Americans that are fully equipped with the backbone um, who could vote for something uh, that is legal and needed. So it's, um, 
it is a very fraught situation around these bills. It's going to be very difficult to do much of anything in time to uh, address these laws by the 2022 midterms, yes. And that is, presents a great likelihood, I don't mean great in the sense of good, but a high likelihood that um, the uh, control of one or both houses of Congress will flip. Mm. So we've we've talked a little about how the the federal system has a constitutional role, but we're kind of uh, running out the clock. So can we talk a little about which states have passed the most comprehensive legislation seeking to establish voter suppression and and voter uh, vote nullification? As things stand now, Georgia is almost certainly the leader of the most fully developed bill, followed closely by Texas, which is dealing with a whole variety of special Texas kinds of things. They they are very concerned in Texas about making sure Harris County, which is Houston, does not enable the vote by its citizens. And so they are saying, well, the pandemic is over. Um, and so we don't need these special provisions anymore. I'm busy wiping them up. But Texas has quite a comprehensive bill. And then, of course, Florida is um, in the mix. And um, there is an indication that the Florida legislature will be called upon to add elements to the Florida bill. And it wouldn't surprise me if the people in Georgia might have decide, might decide to do some more things too. This is by no means finished. And I should just mention for people who may be listening, who would like to follow this in greater detail, if they um, go on the website for the Brennan Center for Justice at the New York University Law School website, they will find a monthly tracker of new bills filed and the total bills filed and the total statutes enacted. It's a wonderful resource for people who want to know much more and want to know technical things about these statutes. Cool. Um, so what effect are these statutes having in the, in the near term? Well, let's talk about Georgia because we can see that so clearly. Um, Georgia is busy reconstructing who counts the votes. They have gone to the bottom line here. It's one thing to convince people to vote in a particular way. It's another thing if the state legislature ju just decide. So they are busy replacing the former election workers, those who haven't resigned because they've been threatened with violence or their families have been threatened, um, that um, they are replacing election workers with people who seem more malleable. And there is a new state elections board in Georgia under the new statute, which is empowered to do this. And so under state law, that is now legal. And they're working very hard at it and um, apparently making quite a bit of progress. And I think the contemporary chronicler of that is the Georgia Atlantic, uh, the Atlanta Constitution newspaper. They have some terrific political reporters who've got their eyes on all of this and reporting on it. 
but these things are are being enacted and you know all based on the big lie um is there time for these to be overturned in court or or is is there a fix in time for the for the midterms in november there could be um if the democrats um could pull themselves together which i think is a big if um they could but i'm not predicting that they will because i do not understand um why senators cinema and mansion are doing what they're doing it is utterly incomprehensible to me that Senator Sinema, who won by such a narrow margin, would not want her fellow Arizonans, you know, to be able to vote for her in 2024. It, it's just not clear to me um, why they're doing this. Um, and so um, I think that it's just part of this almost incomprehensible time in American politics where prediction is not worth much. Um, and so I, I think time is very short. Cases are being won in the courts. And just to add to the complexity of everything, should we manage that the districts are being withdrawn now? Uh, because we had a census and so we have all sorts of gerrymandering going on, but courts are still implement and state courts are the first to hear these cases. And so they are um, still striking down maps that are just so manifestly unfair. Here in Florida, we don't have a map yet because even though we had a map that was pretty decent and Florida has a history of trying to fix this gerrymandering problem, our current governor took a look at this and said, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, this isn't gerrymandered enough. And he came up with a plan that he thought would um, be a more appropriate representation about what Florida should be, at least in his mind, and would wipe out, it appears, most uh, minority majority districts. So that's not voted on yet either, um, and our legislature is in session. So um, a couple of days ago, a state court in Ohio struck down the Ohio map as insufficiently representative. And so in a sense, we have challenges to voting across the board and the gerrymandering that's going on now is very much, as I see it, a challenge to Baker versus Carr, which is the foundational modern voting rights case it was decided when Earl Warren was still Chief Justice. Um, and in 1962, in 1965, we got the 1965 Voting Rights Act, which the current Supreme Court um, members of it have been nibbling away at and have pretty much hollowed out. Um, and so things like pre-clearance of states with a history of um, discrimination, that's gone. And um, in a case called Shelby County, Alabama versus Holder, decided in 2013. And then a, a, a decision from this year, 
um, the Brnovich decision with a truly astoundingly inaccurate um, decision by Justice Alito, who, if one of our students in a clinic wrote something like that, we would speak meaningfully to them and make them read all the cases again. But Brnovich is a very consequential case. Um, and um, it addressed the difficult issues of intent versus outcome. And um, so the fight over Brnovich hasn't even really started yet. So even if we got a statute enacted, Miracle One, it would have to make it through the courts, which it probably would in the lower federal courts. But we have a 6-3 Supreme Court and a 6-3 Supreme Court has a will of its own. That's a huge majority. And I could not predict that that court would uphold Baker versus Carr when it came down to something that was in essence a decision like that. Is there any good news on the horizon, Francis? Well, um, not really. Um, what the good news is that I think American people are beginning to think this through. I think it's on their radar screen. Um, now, there have been so many issues and so much controversy. I also think that there is news coming out of the um, special committee in Congress, looking at whatever that was at the Capitol, where people died then or thereafter. And I think that we are beginning to see that all of the happy talk and the big lies just are not the truth and do not comport with the truth. And I still believe that if Americans are provided facts by a reliable source that seem to in fact be what's going on, they will in fact, with maybe with great difficulty, maybe with some sadness and regret, they themselves will do the right thing and give up some of the things that they had found alluring in the recent past. We don't know that. It's a very difficult time. Um, and so I, um, I think that the guardrails that we thought were there are not. The statute that we thought was there because for 49 years it was considered the model voting rights statute, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, has been quietly gutted with the coup de grace administered by Justice Alito in this, um, in a case that was uh, decided on, it came down on July 1st, 2021. It's not even really time for most people to have digested it. There is litigation all over the country. Uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland has doubled the size of the voting rights section of the Department of Justice, and they're out litigating everywhere. But time is running short. All right. Well, many thanks, as always, for, for joining us, and hopefully we'll have better news next time we talk. 
That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'll see you around. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Aldotti with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by the upcoming University of Miami Law Review Symposium, Beyond the Valley, the law's role in the exodus of tech from Silicon Valley, February 4th and 5th. For more information, visit miami.law.edu. Thank you.